Good morning. I'm going to be reading Mark chapter 8, and this is uh, verses 1 through 10. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day. Um, I'm surprised that the, the people that came up with Father's Day didn't put it like October on a day the Cowboys would be playing or whoever your, your inferior football team is. Um, but it's June, so here we are. Happy Father's Day. Uh, my name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. Thank you for joining us this morning. Um, the story of Redeemer is... Uh, It it extends long before we launched our public gatherings in August of 2021. All the way back in ancient history in 2018, uh, Kendall and I decided that I was going to leave teaching and get into full-time ministry training and church planting, uh, and then five years later, here we are. In those five years, we've experienced a lot. We've experienced a lot of ups and downs. You may have um, described these times as peaks and valleys, right? Mountains and valleys, however you want to describe them. The Bible also brings up these seasons of our lives, and it uses certain imagery to communicate them. Gardens and plants and rivers and water that brings life, and then also the hard times, the wilderness, the desolate places, the hunger, the thirst, the heat. And so if we pay close attention to scripture, we see this repetition of gardens and rivers and wilderness and desolate places, right? And so we're constantly in scripture moving in and out of those times. I would say when we understood the call to come to San Angelo in 2020, that was a garden. That was a river. We, it, we were excited. There was a few months of us just being overwhelmed with vision and passion and energy to come here, to come back home. But then the process of getting here was definitely a wilderness. Uh, I lived with my in-laws for four months. Hey. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. Um, as, as great as they are, we didn't have a home. It was hard. Those were hard times. And selling our home was, was even harder than being in my in-law's house, which was a piece of cake. Do I need to say that again? 
That wasn't in my notes. I don't know why that came up. Um, launching Redeemer, planting was a river. Like there, there are life-giving memories that we have here in the last few years that, that we'll hold on to forever. They will encourage us and carry us through uh, in, in the other wilderness times. It's a river. It's, it's a garden being here. But I think the hardest and most difficult wilderness, this desolate place, has been me settling into my leadership, allowing Jesus to guide me through my leadership rather than my desires or my anxieties, or maybe even your anxieties. Letting Jesus lead me has been a wilderness. We seem to ebb and flow, move in and out of these wilderness seasons, don't we? Like I'm just, I'm, I'm, like I said last week, when we start talking about ourselves, it's an invitation for you to find yourself in, in our story, but also just the, the human story. We experience this. So can we just do the awkward thing? Can I get a show of hands of how many people can relate to going in and out of wilderness seasons? Okay, did you see how many hands shot up? Find encouragement in that. You're not alone. You're not weird. That's part of human life, okay? Now, there's, there's two specific things I wanna say. One of them is you're not alone. The other one is it's not your fault. There's nothing you've done wrong. Going into a wilderness season, experiencing pain is the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus doesn't avoid hard feelings. The way of Jesus doesn't avoid desolate places. We learned last week, Jesus took a 120 mile trip to go probably 40 miles. And he did that because the way of Jesus goes straight through the desolate places. We experience this repetitive wilderness because Jesus has something to teach us in the wilderness. And I'll just, I'll, I'll ruin the end for you. Jesus is the garden. Jesus is the river. And then two stories about Jesus feeding people with miraculous bread, we're meant to see that Jesus is the bread. We constantly get pulled into these wilderness places, invited into these wilderness places so that we would follow him and learn that we depend on Jesus. We don't depend on whatever kind of gardens we can build for ourselves, whatever kind of rivers we can craft in our own worlds, whatever comforts and pleasures and indulgences we have are meaningless and they do not give life to us. without Jesus. When he is the garden, when he is the river, when he is the bread, we learn something in the wilderness. Now our text this morning is intentionally set up for us to wonder, why are we again in the wilderness? Because in our own lives, just like in this passage, we ask that question repeatedly. And when 
God repeats. We ought to listen, right? Uh, The first five words of verse one. In those days when, again, the story starts with repetition. That word again is meant to remind us that not too long ago we were in chapter six, verse 30, walking through a very similar story with some things that are repeated almost word for word. But then it's a little bit different. Now, I'll tell you, as I was preparing for this sermon, um, I was getting a lot of information about the text, about the message. Why is it 4,000 here and 5,000 there? Why is it seven baskets here and 12 baskets there? What I started to realize was in my study, I kept seeing the word repetition. And in my conversations with people about the text, I kept hearing myself say the word repetition. And then all of a sudden, like Doc Brown and Back to the Future, great Scott. There's meaning in the repetition. So that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. We're going to look at the meaning of the text itself but we're also going to look at it next to verse, uh, uh, Mark 6 in that story and understand why God repeats himself and what we should do about it, okay? So we're going we're gonna to pause in the text. We'll come back to it in just a second. But I want to think about the word repetition and that concept, repetition. It's an important Bible study technique, Right? So as we're studying and reading the Bible, when you see repeated words or phrases or stories, that's meant to say, hey, listen to this. There's meaning here. Repetition is on purpose. We should keep an eye out for it. But not only should we keep an eye out for it, when we notice it, we should pause. And we should consider, why is this being repeated? What's the meaning here in the repetition? And there's two things about repetition that we must remember. Repetition can emphasize and repetition can clarify. Okay? Now, when does repetition emphasize? When the same thing is repeated again and again and again, or these similarities are repeated within stories, that's meant to emphasize meaning. Because when we come into a story, or we hear a word we think we know, we hear a phrase we've heard before, we come to it with a connotation. We come to it with our own assumptions, our own definitions, our own ideas. The repetition gives us an opportunity to put those down, to get through the boundaries of our assumption, and get into our thoughts and our conscience, so that we can pick up what is being said, not what we think is being said. So repeating the same thing emphasizes meaning. But then we also have this repetition of something different. We see repeated stories, but they're slightly different. Just because they're different doesn't mean they're not repeated. And just because they're different doesn't mean the meanings are changed. What the differences and the nuances do is it clarifies, it gives us a new perspective. It shows us the same thing from a different angle. This is why there are four gospel stories. There are four unique and important and equally valuable perspectives to the story of Jesus. The repetition is important. What's the same is important. What's different is important, okay? 
Now, there's a reason that songs repeat. We just sang songs where we repeated verses and chorus and bridge. I don't know if those are the right technical names, but that's not my job, so I don't have to get it right. The repetition is communicating something to us. When we sing the same thing over and over, it starts to sink into us, doesn't it? There's a reason that some of us have to repeat classes. No shame. I repeated a couple of classes in college. Um, Yeah, it feels like wasted money, because it is. But there's a reason, right? We didn't get it. We We need the rerun. We need the repeat. There's a reason parents feel like they're constantly repeating themselves, constantly repeating themselves, constantly repeating themselves. Okay. (laughs) That was a good one. On Father's Day, I could get, you don't have to be a parent to throw out an amen to that. Maybe at least a whoop. Thank you. That's the thing where I'm like, oh my gosh, how many times do I have to say this? Right? And we'll we'll address that attitude (laughs) later, believe me. There's a reason that communicators repeat themselves in their speeches, in their addresses, in their announcements, in their sermons. There's a reason that God repeats himself in scripture. There's a reason that as we follow Jesus in our lives that our seasons are repeated, that maybe something being communicated again and again starts to pop in our mind and be like, I feel like I've heard this before from somewhere. There's a reason for all this. When God repeats, we ought to listen. We have an opportunity to listen. So let's look um, at the two purposes, two of the purposes. These aren't the only purposes of repetition. Two of the purposes of repetition. Remember, we're repeating similarities and we're repeating differences. So let's look first at similarities. Look at Psalm 136. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. I would like for you to turn there if you have a Bible. If you don't, there's one should be near you in the front, in the seats in front of you, um, underneath Psalm 136. The Psalms are in the middle-ish. You can kind of see that. Psalm 136. If you know Psalm 136 or you're looking up at the screen or you're already there, you know where I'm going with this. Now, I've only got the first three verses here, but if you're able to look at Psalm 136, you can see there are 26 verses of the same sentence, of the same phrase. Let's read those first three. You know what? Let's read them together. Let's do that. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, what does that mean to tell us? What does Psalm 136 as a whole mean to tell us? What's the thing, the primary thought that's being communicated? I'm actually asking for an answer. God's steadfast love endures forever. Absolutely. And the application to that is that we should thank him. Because his steadfast love endures forever, we should give thanks. 
we have the chance to give thanks. Now, how do you know that? Yeah, it repeats it 26 times. About verse 20, you're like, I, I'm enough of this. I'm just gonna like skip the steadfast love endures forever part and I'm gonna just read the different ones because I'm getting bored. Don't do that. It repeats on purpose. By the time you get to verse 26, and you may need to start back over, but by the time you get to verse 26, it's just starting to sink in. Repetition emphasizes meaning. Let's look at um, our Mark 6 feeding miracle, and we'll lay that up against our Mark 8 feeding miracle. So if you want to turn back to Mark 6, we're done in Psalm 136. Mark 6 and Mark 8, Mark 6.30, if you have your Bible still. Um, If not, I'm just going to have a list of the, the summaries But let's look at what's similar in both. And we don't have time to go line by line, so I'll just tell you. But what's similar in both is that where it it takes place is in the wilderness. Okay, we know this because Jesus says these people are hungry and they're so far far from food that if I send them home, they're gonna pass out. They're that hungry. They've been there for three days. In the Mark 6 feeding miracle, we're told that they went out to the wilderness to go rest and people chased them there and Jesus taught them. So we see the similarities in the location that the fact that they're in the wilderness means that like what we just talked about, Jesus is communicating something spiritual with the physical. The physical illustrates the spiritual. So they're in the wilderness. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you don't have anything out here but me. I'm gonna teach you and then I'm gonna give you bread because you're hungry. That's what's the same. We also see um, that Jesus feeds thousands with very little, and there's leftovers. And the the third repeated thing that's the same is that how Jesus felt towards the people. In both stories, we see that Jesus had compassion on the crowds. I'm not gonna get into it, but you should wonder why did Mark, who's writing Peter's, the Apostle Peter's story of this, Mark is told from the perspective of Peter, why did Mark write down how Jesus felt both times? Just wonder that. Take that home with you. So we see um, it's in the wilderness and there's hunger. Jesus feeds thousands with very little And we see that Jesus was compassionate towards the crowds. And when God repeats, we ought to listen. So if we remember the chapter six, um, some of you probably don't remember, most of you probably don't remember what I said then. That's okay, that's why we're repeating it. But the whole point of that sermon was, we are hungry, Jesus knows, Jesus satisfies. We are hungry, Jesus knows, Jesus satisfies. Now we see it again. Let's run the same thing again. We are hungry. Jesus knows. Jesus satisfies. What are we meant to see? We're meant to see that we need to be reminded that we're hungry. We need to be reminded that Jesus knows we're hungry. We need to be reminded that Jesus satisfies. Because we will either pretend like we're not hungry and ignore our need, 
or we'll go somewhere else to try to satisfy our needs. We need the reminder, we need the repetition of the same message that Jesus meets our needs. Jesus is the bread, again. Okay, repetition, repeating the same thing, emphasizes meaning. Now, when we repeat something different, when we repeat the same story, but there's slight changes, it doesn't change the meaning, it actually deepens it, it makes it richer. It gives us a new perspective. We're looking at a diamond through a different facet and we see different colors and different uh, flares of light. It's a whole different shade of beauty. And so let's check out the differences between these two stories. Before we get there, I have another funny. There's a classic example of repeating the same thing with slight differences. Can we show that slide now? These two sentences. Let's eat, Grandpa. And let's eat, Grandpa. The same words, a little different. Now, what the repetition of this doesn't tell us is that we're hungry. The sentences are about food. We don't learn anything new about food, do we? We learn, what are we learning in these sentences? Exactly, grammar. Commas are important. That's right. Now, I just want to be clear for anyone who knows, anyone who cares. My household is pro-Oxford comma. If you're not, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it later, not while I'm preaching. Anyways, moving on. I hope I didn't divide anything here, cause conflict in the home. Paying attention to these slight changes tell us when something it gives us a richer, deeper meaning, right? So let's look at the differences between our passages. There's a few. So I encourage you, go home this week and look at Mark 6, 30 through, 30, th- Mark 6, 30 through 44, and write down what you see, and then take Mark 8, 1 through 10, and write down what you see. Look at the differences and the similarities, two of them. The first feeding was to a crowd of predominantly Jewish um, nationality identity. The first miracle was to the Jewish crowd. We know that because um, where they were, also there's, there's things within the story that tell us that. There's 12 baskets. There's 12 baskets that are still overflowing with the loaves. And that 12 represents Israel and the 12 tribes. And so we're meant to just have this idea, this thinking of, oh, we're talking about the Jews here. Well, in the Mark 8 feeding, it's in this region of the Decapolis that we learned from the last story, which has a mixture of Jews and non-Jews. So the crowd here is Jewish and Gentile. So if we're looking at the first story tells us Jesus is the bread to the Jews. The Messiah comes to the Jews. Then we consider, well, Jesus here is the bread to Jews and Gentiles. What is this deeper meaning? The deeper meaning of these differences that we pull out is that Jesus is available. Jesus is the bread to anyone who trusts him. 
anyone, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. He says this throughout his ministry. Once you start paying attention to the repetition, it just is like, oh my gosh, there it is, there it is again, there it is again. The repetition is repeating. We saw when Jesus um, healed the Syrophoenician woman's daughter, that he said, hey, remember, I came for the children first. And then she appeals to this other promise, yeah, but there is something for the rest of us. And he says, you're right. I'm glad you know that. To the Jew first, then to the non-Jew. It's repeated here, it's emphasized here. If it's only to the Jew, most of us in this room are left out. We praise God for the fact that there's another feeding miracle, that Jesus is the bread for all of us, anyone who would trust him. Let's look at the second difference. This one might be a little harder to catch because you have to do a little more reading beyond our story. But if you read through uh, chapter eight, this, you'll see the tone of the disciples in the Mark 6 feeding is they're, they're, they've never seen a miracle like this before. Jesus has never multiplied bread before their eyes and fed, literally. The, the Bible says 5,000 men. It's like 20 to 25,000 people is the estimate in this Mark 6. And it's a little bit less in the Mark 8 feeding. They've never seen this before when we're talking about the Mark 6. So they're kind of caught off guard and you'd expect them at the end of the story to be like, whoa, that's wild. Jesus, you're the bread. That makes sense. Leviticus, this whole thing, Moses in the, in the wilderness. I get it. Bread from heaven. They don't see it. They don't say that. We learn that because later in chapter six, it says when Jesus scared them on the water, they thought he was a ghost and they were terrified. They didn't realize who he was because their hearts were hardened. So in the Mark six, they didn't get it. The tone of the disciples and what happened afterwards, they didn't see clearly. And we also know that because we come into the Mark 8 passage and it's like they don't even remember that that happened. They, Jesus is like, hey, I have compassion on the crowds. Remember last time I said that? Hey, these people are hungry. There's lots of them here. Doesn't this look the same? Nothing, crickets from the disciples. And they're like, what do you want us to do? What are you going to do about it? They actually repeat a similar question to him that he said to them the first time. Clueless. And you're like, this is probably a few weeks after. I remember like crazy things that happened a few weeks ago. So, we keep reading in chapter eight, and what we see eventually is that after this miracle, Peter and the rest of the disciples confess, oh, Jesus, you're the Messiah. So this, this difference is here. Mark six, they don't get it. Mark, in Mark eight, it seems like they do get it. In Mark six, their hearts were hardened. In Mark eight, they confess he's the Messiah. What is this meaning to teach us? Well, this is where I pulled in the emotion of Jesus. Because in the first feeding miracle in Mark 6, these guys are interrupted. Jesus is interrupted from getting rest. And how does he respond to the crowd? With what emotion? 
compassion because they're sheep without a shepherd. So he teaches them and he feeds them. In Mark 8, he's out there for three days. He had them out there. Like, it's not like they were like, no, Jesus, we don't want to go eat. Like, he had them out there and was teaching them for three days. But they're hungry. They're starving. And what's the emotion that he communicates to them? Compassion. So the gentle and compassionate repetition of Jesus teaches us something. The compassionate repetition of, I'm the bread. This gentle reminder of, guys, I'm the Messiah. I'm bigger than you think I am. I'm not just a rabbi. This gentle and compassionate repetition is meant to pull us in closer that he's a voice we can listen to, that he's a man we can learn from. The slight changes and differences that we notice when the disciples didn't get it the first time, but Jesus is still compassionate and gentle. We're, we need to keep coming to this man. Why would we go anywhere else? Because you want to know how I respond when I'm needing to repeat myself? I'm irritated. Like, we got to do this again. Do I need to say it again? Okay, I'm going to stand here, and you're going to know I'm irritated because the way that I'm going to say it is going to tell you that, and you're going to be embarrassed. How do we respond when we're repeated to? We feel belittled, right? We might take offense. Like, hold, hold on. I heard you the first time, which is really a prideful way of saying, I'm not listening to you. So when people are repeating to us and we believe we don't need the repetition or when we are needing to repeat ourselves and we're like, hey, when I speak, you listen. That should be a reminder to us that this repetitive grace and compassion and gentleness we get from Jesus, that, that's meant to show us that we can repent. We can repent of that pride of being offended and belittled when we're repeated to. And we can see maybe, okay, hold on. Maybe I do need to hear this again. Maybe I do need to be let out into the wilderness again. Maybe I do need to remember that I depend on Jesus and when I depend on anything else, I start dying. If I go anywhere away from him, I'm just gonna fall flat on the ground unconscious. The gentle and compassionate repetition of Jesus teaches us that we don't have to respond with feeling belittled or offended when people repeat to us, when Jesus repeats to us, when scripture repeats to us. We also don't need to feel like we're in God's position to say, I shouldn't have to repeat myself. My words are so valuable and important that I should only have to say them once. And you should be changed and motivated by the one time I said that thing. 
The gentle and compassionate repetition of Jesus should show us that we are not gentle and compassionate in our repetition. And it gives us the opportunity to, rem- to remember the forgiveness of Christ, to lead us to repentance when we offend in our repetition or when we are offended in repetition. Gives us a chance to repent of believing we don't need it and we shouldn't have to do it. And it gives us an opportunity to believe that Jesus really is the gracious and compassionate and gentle repetition of God. Like as a person, he is, he's the embodiment. God put on flesh so that he could repeat and repeat and repeat his love and his compassion and his grace to us again and again and again. And John 1 picks up on this. The gospel of John describes Jesus coming as we have from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace upon eternally repeated grace. The repetition, grace upon grace, is this looping thing that's never ending. Just quickly to define grace for a second. Look at Jesus in Mark 6 and Mark 8, feeding miracles, interrupted twice by our need yet he's compassionate, yet he does repeat himself. The, the verbal definition of grace is that we get something that we don't deserve. We're getting a gift that we didn't earn, that we didn't ask for, that we didn't like climb the ladder to achieve, that we didn't perform well enough for, Grace is receiving a compassionate response to our prideful and arrogant postures. If God were to respond to us with pride and arrogance, with belittling us and offending us, do you think we'd ever learn any different? But it's through his grace and compassion that we can learn to be gracious and compassionate. We cannot give what we haven't first received We must receive the grace and compassion of Jesus in order to give it out. And so his gentle, compassionate, gracious repetition gives us the opportunity to be gracious and gentle and compassionate. Now, imagine if you were only given one chance to believe the good news of Jesus. Imagine the first time you heard and you thought, mm, I don't know about this. Or maybe you're like, oh yeah, I'm all in, but you really didn't fully get it. Imagine if that's the only chance you got. Eventually you say, okay, Jesus, let's talk about, nope, no, 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 sorry. You had your chance. You only get one. I'm not gonna repeat myself to you. Just imagine that. Imagine if you had one chance to obey. Imagine if you had one chance to get it right. We wouldn't be here. 
It's the gentle and compassionate, gracious repetition of God. That at some point, he's gonna open our eyes. He's gonna soften our hearts. And so we endure with patience because he endures with us with patience. We keep praying for each other in patience rather than coming to one another in in anxiety and pressure and saying, you need to understand this. We trust the spirit to do the work of gracious and compassionate repetition. When God repeats, we have the opportunity to listen. It's a miracle that he's willing and that he does show us again and again and again that true life and joy is found in learning from him. Jesus is the garden. Jesus is the river. We can, we can exist in the wilderness because Jesus is the garden and the river and the bread. We can keep coming back there. So, communion time. We're gonna, we're gonna repeat again this thing that we practice every week. We repeat communion not because the cross needs to be repeated, not because the death of Jesus and the forgiveness of Jesus needs to be repeated. That was permanent. Read the book of Hebrews chapter 10. The cross and forgiveness of Christ was once. It only needed to happen once because it was perfect and it was permanent and it was eternal. It was infinite. It goes in both directions. Past, present, future, everything I've done, everything I'm going to do, the cross and forgiveness of Christ needs no repeating. We need reminding. And so we come to the table again. We take the bread and the cup again. And as the body and the blood of Christ sink into our bodies the grace and compassion of Christ has another chance to sink into our souls. So if you believe, if you confess that Jesus is the bread, that Jesus is the garden, that Jesus is the river, that in the wilderness, life is just the wilderness, and that in this wilderness, he is all we need. If this is your confession, please join me at the table.